We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 587 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, June 5th, 2023. Did you survive the sonic boom in the Washington, D.C. area on Sunday? I guess if you're listening to this, you did survive the sonic boom. Uh, but yeah, we on Sunday had a sonic boom. Uh, that was heard as far east as the eastern shore of Maryland and as far west as Manassas, Virginia. Uh, the sonic boom was caused by an authorized DOD flight. Uh, DOD is in Department of Defense. The sonic boom came from two F-16 jets out of Joint Base Andrews in Prince George's County, Maryland. I have to tell you, I did not hear the boom. Uh, I live in Montgomery County, Maryland. I don't know. Maybe we were immune to the boom somehow, but no boom for me. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, for which every episode has the impact of a sonic boom. Uh, And speaking of boom, uh, boom! <laughs> the, the NBA Finals now are even at one. The Miami Heat with a big boom at the Denver Nuggets on Sunday night. A 111-108 win at the Nuggets. Uh, the Nuggets' first loss at home this postseason. They're now 9-1 and at home this postseason. The Nuggets in this game blew a 15-point second quarter lead. You know, there's a saying with the Miami Heat, Heat culture. The Heat as the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, having been without one of the team's best players, Tyler Hero, for most of this postseason due to injury, being in the NBA Finals and being tied with the Western Conference's one seed at one in the NBA Finals. And consider this with this notion of Heat culture. The Heat's win on Sunday night was the team's seventh double-digit comeback win This postseason tied with three other teams for the most such wins in an NBA postseason over the last 25 years. Two of the other three teams are two other Heat teams, the 2011 and 2012 Heat teams. Again, Heat culture. Uh, Well, we, of course, have heard the word culture quite a bit with our football team in recent years for many different reasons. Uh, This week sets up to be a newsy week with our football team. Our incoming commander's owner, Josh Harris, uh, he reportedly will be meeting with the NFL Finance Committee in New York on Wednesday and Tuesday through Thursday. We have the Commander's Mandatory Minicamp. Uh, next segment, I'll discuss the latest in the sale of the Commanders off these reports of this meeting on Wednesday. And then a welcome on a guest to get us ready for the Mandatory Minicamp. Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Uh, Sam does a really good job of covering the team. We will discuss uh, whether there might be a notable no-show or two for the Commanders at the Mandatory Minicamp. Uh, Could it be, might it be, that the team's top two edge defenders, Montez Sweat and Chase Young, do not attend the mandatory minicamp? Uh, We'll get into a really good piece that Sam recently wrote about the offense that assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is putting together. Some 
really interesting stuff on uh, pre-snap motion and shifting. Uh, we will talk about quarterback Sam Howell. We will talk about Chris Rodriguez Jr. potentially being the Commander's RB1. And more. Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post is coming up in a bit. Also on the show, the Nationals. Uh, my thoughts on the Nats over the weekend losing two or three games to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. And my reaction to the big report from the Washington Post on Saturday morning on starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. Uh, two big whammies in this report. A, Strasburg has been completely shut down from physical activity again and is dealing with, quote, severe nerve damage, and quote. B, the Nats do not have any disability insurance on Strasburg's seven-year, $245 million contract. Uh, yeah, a lot to digest with this report. Uh, and I have an Oriole segment for you of them over the weekend winning two or three games at the San Francisco Giants. Don't look now, but the O's have the best road record in the majors, 20 and 10. Some really good pitching by the O's in this series. Uh, Maryland baseball season, sadly, is over. Uh, my Terrapins in the NCAA tournament ended up not even making it out of the Winston-Salem Regional. Uh, they, on Sunday afternoon, lost to George Mason. Yes, the Mason Nation, 11-10 uh, on a walk-off sacrifice fly. The Patriots have advanced to a regional final for the first time in program history. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I continue to receive feedback on something that, for some reason, keeps coming up on the podcast. Who is the greatest of all time in procreation? Who is the GOAT of procreation? As the great Arnold Schwarzenegger said many years ago, who is your daddy and what does he do? Who is your daddy and what does he do? That's right. Thank you, Arnold. Uh, this all stems from what has been coming up in Arnold's world, the entertainment world. Uh, first, we learned that Robert De Niro, who now is 79, has fathered a seventh child. Uh, that got us to talking about Nick Cannon, who has 12 kids with six women. And then we learned that 83-year-old Al Pacino and his 29-year-old girlfriend are expecting a child. Email from Nino. Writes Nino. Big fan. So I've been listening to you for a long time. Love when you were on with Kevin and Cooley. Uh, thank you, Nino. Continues, Nino. Recently, what intrigues me the most is your discussion <laughs> on Nick Cannon, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro. The question on who is the goat of procreation. I've got to endorse the late great actor Anthony Quinn. He fathered his 12th child at the age of 81. So he beats Nick Cannon and Robert De Niro. In my opinion, Quinn edges out Al Pacino because Al will only father his fourth child while Anthony Quinn fathered 12. I might be dating myself, and probably most of your listeners do not know who Anthony Quinn is unless they are big movie buffs, but we have to give props where props are due. Keep up the good work. I listen to you every morning. Well, thank you very much for that, Nino. Uh, you see, this is the beauty of the collective wisdom of the listenership of this podcast. I would have never cited Anthony Quinn in this conversation, but Nino makes a great call in bringing up Anthony Quinn. Uh, perhaps he is the goat of procreation. Hard to argue with 12 kids, the last of which was born when he was 81. Uh, the last of which was born in Quinn's age 81 season. Uh, by the way, Nino's email did get me curious about Anthony Quinn. And so I came across this article from United Press International, UPI, dated August 19th, 1997. Quote, Actor Anthony Quinn, one day after hearing his son testify that the 82-year-old actor beat his wife, has agreed to a settlement in his divorce battle with his wife of 32 years. Anthony Quinn left his wife two years ago to pursue his relationship with his personal assistant, Kathy Benvin. He and the 35-year-old woman have two children. End quote. <laughs> so uh, Anthony Quinn may be the goat of procreation, but he apparently was not the goat of husbands. Uh, I think that is pretty clear. Email from Dr. CCB writes the doctor, according to TMZ, Pacino doubted that the child was his and asked for a paternity test, which proved that he is indeed the father. 
Yuck! Goldie, you may be right. Pacino and De Niro may be the goats of longevity. Nick Cannon, with 12 kids by six different women, may be the goat of procreation. But Antonio Cromartie is the goat of womanizing. He has fathered eight kids with seven different women spread all over the country and has fathered six kids with his wife. And some of these kids came after he got a vasectomy in 2011. What? I'm thinking that he never got the surgery or had the procedure reversed because if he had the procedure and still was procreating, he better contact Paulson and Nace (laughs) and sue the doctors who performed his surgery. Anyway, can't wait to hear who attended voluntary OTAs or not, uh, how Jacoby Brissett dropped a dime to Cole Turner, and how explosive B-Rob looked busting through a padless D-line in preparation (laughs) for his upcoming 1,000-yard season. LOL. Uh, Thank you for the email, Dr. CCB. Well put. Uh, Yeah, the Antonio Cromartie stats are incredible. Antonio Cromartie, former NFL corner, uh, known best for his time with the San Diego Chargers and New York Jets, not to be confused with former Redskins corner, Dominique Rogers Cromartie, uh, aka DRC. Uh, Antonio and DRC are cousins, but Antonio Cromartie, 14 kids with eight women. That is what you call spreading the wealth, among other things. And no doubt, if Antonio Cromartie, with his vasectomy, (laughs) has a case, he should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace, a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that is always ready to fight for you. Uh, And while the Nace family isn't quite as large as the Cromartie family, uh, the Nace family, in terms of its legal prowess, is as potent as Antonio Cromartie (laughs) in terms of his procreation. Uh, Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace provides passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. How about this? Two verdicts against Merrill Dow totaling $132 million. Yes, Paulson and Nace has taken on Big Pharma and won. Uh, Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. Uh, Just last July, Bradley versus the United States of America. Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government was paying nearly $1.8 million. So this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So we, over the weekend, had some news on the sale of the Commanders. Uh, We, on Friday evening slash Saturday morning, had multiple reports that our incoming Commanders owner, Josh Harris, will be meeting with the NFL's Finance Committee in New York this Wednesday. Uh, This for the purpose of working through the structural changes to the Josh Harris Group's purchase of the Commanders that the NFL wants the group to make. Uh, The widespread expectation remains that the Harris Group's purchase of the team is going to be approved, uh, as the group is, in fact, making the changes that the NFL wants. Uh, If you are a regular listener of this podcast, uh, you are not surprised by this. Uh, The great Howard Gutman, former United States ambassador to Belgium, a high-level attorney, uh, a man who knows multiple people in the Harris Group. Uh, Howard, on last Monday's show, episode 582, told us that the Harris Group would make whatever changes that the NFL needed the group to make. And sure enough, NFL insider Mark Maskey of the Washington Post, he on Friday evening tweeted that Josh Harris, quote, has provided assurances he will 
will adjust his $6.05 billion commander's deal as requested. End quote. Uh, Also, Maskey on Friday evening tweeted a quote from a source on the sale. Quote, it's not done yet. It's not concluded, but it's headed in that direction. It's in that 90% plus range now. End quote. So 90% plus range certainly suggests that uh, 100% is coming. Uh, Additionally, the timeline for finalizing the sale may be being moved up. The word had been that NFL owners would vote on the purchase in July or even August. Uh, Well, Commander's Insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post, she on Friday evening tweeted, quote, if all goes well in Josh Harris's meeting with the Finance Committee Wednesday, the deal would be put to a vote of owners ASAP, potentially as soon as late June or early July, a person with knowledge of the league's workings and owners' views said, end quote. So instead of the vote happening in July or August, we may have the vote in June or early July. Uh, Very good news. Now, uh, the what matters a lot more than the when, right? What matters is that the sale of the team gets finalized. Whether that happens in June or July or August isn't that big of a deal. But the sooner that the sale is finalized, the better. And I have found this idea of the NFL owners not voting on the sale until potentially August to be a little ridiculous. I mean, the formal announcement from the Snyders and Josh Harris announcing the purchase and sale agreement between the Snyders and the Harris Group was on May 12th. Even with these financial structure changes to the deal that the NFL wants, it shouldn't take three months to go from the purchase and sale agreement being announced to the sale being finalized. So Wednesday could be a big day in this process of the sale. We'll see. Uh, Commander's insider John Kime of ESPN, he in a piece that came out on Saturday morning had this on the sale, quote, it remains uncertain when the sale will be completed, though if all goes well Wednesday, the committee will also meet separately in subsequent weeks. It could be resolved this summer and possibly before training camp opens in late July, end quote. That would be nice. 2023 Commander's training camp opening as the sale of the team is finalized. Multiple beginnings all at once. Well, a big help is if you subscribe to rate and review this podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. A subscription to the pod costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. can be more, but doesn't have to be. And thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Well, as we await the sale of the Commanders to be finalized, uh, we this week have a big week in terms of actual Commanders football. The team's three-day mandatory minicamp is this week, Tuesday, June 6th through Thursday, June 8th, uh, the mandatory minicamp is the peak of an NFL team's offseason program. Uh, The mandatory minicamp, unlike the OTA practices, is, yes, mandatory. So the uh, three notable absentees from Commander's OTA practices this offseason would be expected to attend this week's minicamp, talking about edge defenders Chase Young and Montez Sweat and left tackle Charles Leno Jr. Uh, And assuming that all three attend the minicamp, there would seem to be a pretty good chance that all three will be speaking to the media as all three mandatory minicamp practices are open to the media. Uh, The commanders do have one more scheduled OTA practice. uh, That is for June 13th. But the mandatory minicamp in a lot of ways marks the end of the offseason program. Uh, And then after these offseason practices comes about a six-week break and then comes the start of training camp at late July. Uh, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Uh, he is joining us as he is in the midst of a leisurely stroll through the city of Washington, D.C. You could follow Sam on Twitter at Sam4TR with the number four and then the letters TR. Hey, Sam, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I mean, you know, being back out of the facility the last couple of weeks for OTAs, minicamp coming up, it's nice to, to see people out on the field, particularly with all the changes that have been made this offseason and seeing Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy, and uh, the, weather's been, the weather's been great. So and no complaints here, man. Excellent. That's a good thing. Uh, now, we last offseason did see receiver Terry McLaurin no-show the commander's mandatory minicamp as he was in the midst of uh, the negotiations for the big money contract extension that he ended up getting 
Do you think that Chase Young, Montez Sweat, or Charles Leno Jr. no-showing this week's mandatory minicamp is at all in play? Um, I would be surprised if Charles Leno skipped it. I don't have a good gauge on Montez Sweat, Chase Young. I think that the team expects them to be there, but I I think that they could um, skip out. Uh, I think it's possible, but I I don't have a, a good sense. I don't want anybody to take this like I'm reporting it. But, I mean, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, I mean, you know, we know Chase Young has been out in Colorado at Dunamis, the, the performance center that he rehabbed from his injury at. He's been out there with Vaughn Miller. Um, so that that's where he's been getting his work in. And I did think it was notable that, you know, we asked Jack Del Rio last week when he was available, you know, what do you make of, of Chase Young? Are you concerned that, that them not being there will prohibit you guys from putting in the system, from, from getting Chase back up and running, because obviously he, he went without contact for so long. Are you concerned? And Jack just said, I'm really appreciative of the guys who are here. So that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty telling thing uh, for your coach to say uh, when asked about his level of concern with, with your play. So whether or not he's here, I, I think it is certainly going to be a deal um, for, for two guys going into huge contract years. You mentioned the comments of defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio at his post-OTA practice press conference this past Thursday afternoon. Head coach Ron Rivera in his uh, pre-OTA practice press conference on May 24th did not come across as particularly angered or bothered by the OTA no-shows. But specific to Chase Young, given his disappointing last two seasons, given that Ron in the past has made it quite clear that he wants players attending these OTAs, and given this apparent disconnect that has existed between Ron and Chase, do you think that Ron was in fact bothered by Chase not attending these last two weeks of OTA practices? Well, I, I think you have to, you know, say to yourself, okay, if Ron criticizes him or, or gets after him or tries to find him or anything, those are voluntary. So he has to maintain, you know, the the um, appearance at least of, of saying, hey, it's voluntary. He can choose to be here or not. I do think that it bothers Ron. We know that Ron Rivera loves having all his players there as all coaches do. Right. And anytime you're going into a huge year for yourself, personally, you want, you know, your top players there, including the guy that you made the first pick of your regime in Washington. So I do think it bothers him, but I do think at this point, sort of like with the decline in the fifth year option, there is just a certain amount of, of Chase Young is going to do what he thinks is best. And, and I would even honestly, Al, go back to 2021, you know, if Chase Young comes and balls out in the fall, all will be forgiven. And if he doesn't, this not attending mandatory minicamp or not attending OTAs, this will be just another data point in, hey, this isn't a guy that we feel comfortable building our team around. You this past Friday morning came out with a really interesting piece on the offense that the commander's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is implementing. And you looked at the motion and alignment changes that Bieniemy is tinkering with. Uh, you and the piece had some interesting data, too. In putting together this article, what would you say struck you the most? Yeah, I would say how much Scott Turner and Eric Bieniemy have similar philosophies on motion. They obviously move guys around a lot. But when it comes to changing pre-snap alignment, when it comes to giving defenses different looks, they have two pretty starkly different philosophies. If you look at it, you know, just to take, for example, uh, Jahan Dotson and and Terry McLaurin lined up outside pre-snap, out wide, more than 70% of the time. Curtis Samuel was in the slot more than 70% of the time. If you look at the Chiefs, of the six receivers who had at least one target last year, only one of them lined up at one spot more than 70% of the time. They were bouncing around constantly. Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Tony, just, you know, Justin Watson. Some of these guys were just going all over the place. Not Justin Watson, excuse me. But everybody else was just bouncing around, and, and Eric Bieniemy was saying, hey, we're going to give you different looks. McCole Hardman. I mean, and, and I think that that was really interesting to me because that is the thing, maybe more than Eric Bieniemy's uh, energy that stood out to me at, at OTAs is just – how much he's put moved guys around. And, and as I noted in the piece, you know, Jahan Dotson was lined up in the backfield for one play, which, you know, is something that we didn't see him do at all last season. But Eric Bieniemy seems willing to, to figure out, hey, is there a look, is there an advantage we can gain by bouncing him maybe, you know, into the backfield? The advanced stats seem to be pretty clear in that pre-snap motion and shifting are good. Uh, generally speaking, is it as simple as the more pre-snap motion and shifting, the better? So I would say that, Yes, but it is. It does come to a point because I think Aaron Rodgers spoke really eloquently on this last year. Pre-snap motion, if it is, if it is, um, 
utilitarian. If, if the quarterback can gain something from it, if he can say, okay, they are actually disguising, you know, uh, cover three here, but it's actually man, you know, like if you can figure something out. But Aaron Rodgers' point was basically like when you do over-rely on it, you can slow down plays. You can allow the defense to say, okay, you know, we're figuring out, you know, their alignment or, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm picking up this pre-snap cue. And so sometimes Aaron Rodgers wanted to go faster. But in general, I would say that more confusion is better, like you're seeing with the Vic Fangio defenses, the two highs, you know, kind of the rotating, which you saw with Washington last year with their three safety sets. It's a complicated answer, Al, but I would say that ultimately, yes, more pre-snap motion is, is generally going to help you. With Eric Bieniemy, it sure seems like he has great say-so over the commander's offense. And Ron Rivera has talked about how Bieniemy is even structuring the team's offseason. Are you surprised by how much power Bieniemy seems to have? No, when, when you go out and, and you get a big fish in terms of an offensive coordinator, uh, play caller like you did when you give him the you know assistant head coach title, uh, and, and Ron's not going to do that for show, I think this was always going to be how it was going to go. I mean, um, Ron knows that, that he has, has to have a really good year to retain, to retain his job. And so, you know, if, you, if you're saying, hey, the best guy we can go get requires me to take a step back for Eric Genemy to take on a really large role, not just on the offense, but also practice planning and doing a lot of these things that we've heard come out, you know, from camp and players talking about how much influence he has in the building. I think Ron was going to be willing to do that because he knew that he has to get the offense right and maximize Sam Howell if they're going to have a chance this year. Much more with Sam Fortier in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Sam Howell. To what extent is Eric Bieniemy catering his commander's offense to Sam? Hopefully quite a bit. Hopefully as well <laughs> as catering by Uptown does its catering. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. It is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations and Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering, or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Check out the reviews, nearly 500 reviews, averaging 4.6 out of 5 stars. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Uh, All right, the man being positioned to be the Commander's QB1 this coming season, Sam Howell. How has he looked in the uh, two OTA practices that have been open to the media? I mean, he's looked pretty good. I'm always wary of buying too much stock on a guy, you know, when, when it comes to being late May, early June. But, I mean, he looks pretty good. I mean, the thing that's always impressed me about him is his ability to throw off-platform, his ability uh, you know, to deliver on-target balls. We saw that in the Dallas game too, right? But to me, that, that's one of the things that stands out. And the command of the huddle, I think, has it's been a work in progress, but it, it's been um, developing. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me is one of the OTAs we were watching, You know, they, they got up to the line of scrimmage, and you know, it's never as fast, or it's rarely as fast as Eric Bimmy wants to be. So they're getting up there, they get up there fast, but Sam realizes... Um, that there was, I, I believe it was, you know, the splits were off or, or somebody was lined up in the wrong position. So he called everybody back to the huddle. And that's something Eric Bieniemy wants them to do, wants him to do, um, is, is really take charge. And, and, you know, Ron said that they've mic'd Sam Howell up so they can get in the huddle and kind of hear him deliver the play call. Because Logan Paulson, the, the former commander's tight end, you know, noted this as well. Like, when you have a young quarterback, if, if people do the wrong thing, you know, coaches will go to the quarterback and he says, oh, I said the play right. And the players say, no, he said, you know, the other players say, oh, he did this. So they're giving themselves an objective, definitive look into where Sam Howell is at. And I think that that's a smart approach. 
Agreed. Uh, For whatever reasons, we these last two seasons did not see much in the way of quarterback Taylor Heineke being presented as a run threat. And I'm not just talking about Taylor not scrambling much. I'm talking about read option looks and read option plays. I felt like Washington these last two seasons didn't capitalize enough on Taylor's mobility. Uh, If Sam Howell is the commander starting quarterback for this coming season, do you think that we'll see the team adequately capitalize on his mobility? Well, this is an interesting question. And I would say two things about the Taylor point before we get to Sam, which is they didn't want to do a ton of design runs with him because, you know, obviously when you're dealing with your backup quarterback playing, you obviously are at, at, a, at a certain point just wanting to keep him healthy, protecting him. And he's not bulky like Jalen Hurts is. You know, he's, he's not going to be able to run zone read 10 times a game. But I, I, and, and the other thing I think is that the coaches were a little bit mystified of why he wasn't utilizing his legs more. Why wasn't Taylor Heineke kind of taking off and scrambling like he did in obviously the Tampa Bay playoff game and things of that nature? So, but to get to your your you know real question, are we going to see him use Sam Howell's legs more? I think yes, because I think that there'll be a lot more RPO plays than with Sam Howell. Obviously, the Chiefs use them. Really, I mean, the Chiefs used pretty much everything really well last year. But RPOs uh, were a really big part of that game plan with, with Patrick Mahomes. And so I think we're going to see Sam, you know, get on the move a little bit. Are we going to see him running power? Um, I don't know. But actually, one thing in terms of quarterback run game that I'm curious about is quarterback sneaks. Because if you remember, Patrick Mahomes got hurt on a quarterback sneak in 2018. I want to say it was in Denver or against the Broncos in Kansas City. And they did not run a single quarterback sneak. Um I believe in those five years, four years after that. And so, you know, is Eric Denny going to translate that philosophy here? Is he going to say, okay, somehow we can run the quarterback sneak? And it's a really interesting dichotomy, I think, because the Eagles showed how effective, you know, quarterback sneak, especially if you're getting a guy pushing behind you, can be if you have a really good offensive line. So uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting component to watch when we talk about Sam Howell using his legs. It is. Uh, but to clarify things on Taylor Heineke, so him not doing more as a runner these last two seasons was more on him than on the team? Well, I think that the design runs were, were you know, like they weren't running, you know, an option or, or zone read or things like that by design. But I think, you know, as plays break down, I think they wanted him to use his legs a little bit more. And, and I think that people were, were, at least coaches in the building, were wondering why he wasn't taking off. I, I personally, like during the season, I thought to myself, okay, Taylor doesn't want to give up the job or Taylor has been told by coaches like, Hey, you know, let's, uh, let's not run because you know, you're our backup quarterback and we don't want to have to throw Sam in there. Um, when Carson was hurt, but I think that, you know, as the year wore on it, it was, it was, um, not quite what I expected there. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned the commander's offensive line. I get that it's basically impossible to evaluate offensive line play in these non-padded offseason practices. That said, do you think that the commanders this offseason have done enough to fix their offensive line? That's a great question. And it's like something that I have been watching and wondering to myself. And like, here's the thing I can say. At guard, when you go from Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner to Sadiq Charles slash Chris Paul on the left to Sam Cosme on the right, you've gotten younger, you've gotten more athletic. And you could argue you've also done that at center with Nick Gates. Um, rather than Chase Roulier or Wes Schweitzer or Tyler Larson, although Tyler Larson is still there. I, I have a, I'm having a struggle right now of, okay, maybe they did add some good pieces. They got younger. This is an offensive line that, at the very least, is more athletic. They could do a little bit more zone block, you know, outside zone, certainly, than, than last year did. Maybe they'll be a little bit better in drop back pass pro, which is something that they were really terrible at last year. Uh, but then a part of me is like, maybe what they did this year was more quantity over quality in terms of upgrades. I think that Andrew Wiley is far from, you know, being a proven stout, you know, top 15 right tackle in the, in the league. And, and I think that you can kind of go down the line and, and say that there are question marks about these guys. Um, so, so it, it's something that, that I am fascinated to see as we get into August and preseason games. But right now it's tough to say anything more definitive than they are younger and more athletic. Uh, running back, we know that Eric Bieniemy is a big fan of the man who the Commanders took in the sixth round of the 2023 NFL Draft, Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. We also know to uh, expect the unexpected at the position of running back. Heck, last August, we saw Bride Robinson Jr. overtake Antonio Gibson as the team's RB1. Could you see Rodriguez this summer overtaking Robinson as the team's RB1? Okay, so this is this is an interesting question because we got 
to talk to the position coaches last week, and I said to running backs coach Brandy Jordan, look, the thing that I am thinking, and I think that I'm not alone here, is that it seems like, okay, you draft Chris Rodriguez, who's kind of a bruiser, a downhill runner, you know, a big dude like AG, and you're going to have Brian Robinson and Chris Rodriguez kind of take those downhill hammering runs, and then you can have AG slide into the J.D. McKissick role, that third down, two-minute pass-catching back, and you can really, you know, utilize his skills as a receiver more than, than you were initially. And he said, yeah, I get why people think that, but I, I'm not even thinking about roles right now. I'm thinking about, you know, hey, how do we get guys uh, to learn this offense and, and we can move them around as we talked about earlier. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's that. I, I mean, I still think it will end up that way. I think that Randy probably has an obligation to say something like that. Um, but Brian Robinson, he said, is a better receiver than he expected. You know, when, when you watch him on tape at Alabama, um, you don't really see, you didn't really see the pass catching because they didn't use him that way. They used him definitely more as a, a downhill runner. Um, but to me, that still seems like the likeliest outcome when you look at these guys' skill sets. Last one for you. Did you think that the commanders would do more at tight end this offseason? Uh, I think it's yes. But I, I only say that with the retrospective now being like, ah, they're going to be without Armani Rogers, their young, promising tight end, who I thought could step in and take a pretty big role on this year. Um, I think they could still address that position in a more meaningful way than just you know signing a guy off the street like they did uh, last week. But I, I think Curtis Hodges, I think they really like him um, as a guy, the undrafted free agent out of uh, Arizona or Arizona State, I can't remember which, um, who, who spent la- most of last year on IR, a big frame, good pass catcher. And obviously, you know, they have John Bates, who's a good blocker. And, and Logan Thomas, I, I think, did, in my opinion, did not play super well last year, um, particularly as a blocker. I, I thought that he uh, lost a lot more than he did in, in the year prior. But And he says, you know, I didn't feel as explosive. Um, you know, and, and he feels he can get back to that. And the coaches say that they're, they're seeing him get back to kind of that explosiveness he had, you know, in his first breakout year here. And I think that he could still have that. Um, and he could still be a good tight end one. But I think that you want to be deeper just in case. And, and Armani Rogers is really highlighting that. So I would say that I wasn't surprised. I thought they were going to do – I thought they were going to pick one in, in the latter rounds of the draft. But Cole Turner also, who I've neglected to mention, has been really impressive to me uh, in camp. He, I think he has been one of the guys who's, who stood out as, as having a particularly good uh, OTAs so far, particularly with you know, some of the acrobatic catches and the catch radius that, that he's had. So I think those guys you feel comfortable with, you feel okay about. Um, but you don't feel great about it. So I can see them addressing it uh, at some point, either this summer or during camp. All right. Commander's insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Sam, thank you. All the best. Yeah, Al, of course. Always enjoy shopping it up with you and uh, take care. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, the Nationals over the weekend played a three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. The Nats entered this series just a game behind the Phillies for fourth in the National League East. The Nats entered this series with a chance to get out of last in the NL East and to have the Phillies be last in the NL East. But uh, the Nats ended up coming out of this series two games behind the Phillies for fourth in the NL East. Uh, later this segment, I'm going to discuss the big report from the Washington Post on Saturday morning on Nats starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. But before that, the actual games for the Nats over the weekend, uh, Friday night, an 8-7 win, uh, despite the Nats blowing a 6-0 fourth inning lead. Saturday, a 4-2 loss. Sunday afternoon, an 11-3 loss. Uh, the Nats have the second worst record in the National League at 25-34. and What is really emerging with the Nats in recent weeks is a bullpen that has become quite bad. Uh, the Nats right now have one reliever who you feel anywhere close to good about, and that reliever is Hunter Harvey, but even Harvey has had problems lately. Nats relievers over these three games against the Phillies combined to allow 11 runs, 10 earned in 10 innings. Uh, this 11-3 loss on Sunday afternoon, three Nats relievers combined to allow seven runs in three and a third innings. Andres Machado was a disaster. He officially allowed four runs in one inning. He faced nine batters. He got just three outs. He gave up two home runs, a double, two singles, a walk, and a wild pitch. Uh, Machado came into the game in the top of the six with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats down 2-1. That was it. But he, to the first batter he faced, gave up a two-out, three-run homer by ex-Nat Kyle Schwarber to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-1 Phillies lead. And Machado, in what ended up being a three-run Phillies seventh, gave up a two-out, two-run homer by Drew Ellis to left center field for an 8-1 Phillies lead. Uh, Mason Thompson did then toss one and a third scoreless innings, but then Thaddeus Ward in the top of the ninth allowed three runs. Uh, he gave up a one-out full count opposite field three-run homer by Kyle Schwarber to left center field for an 11-1 Phillies lead. Uh, I mentioned Hunter Harvey. He overall has been the Nats' best reliever this season, but even Harvey's faltering. Uh, the 8-7 win on Friday night, Harvey came into that game in the top of the seventh with runners at the corners, one out, and the Nats holding a 7-4 lead. He, to the first batter he faced, issued a one-out, four-pitch walk of ex-Nat Bryce Harper to load the bases and then gave up a one-out, bases-loaded, two-run single by Nick Castellanos up the middle on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats' lead to 7-6. Castellanos in that game, by the way, 4 for 5 with two homers, a double, a single, and 5 RBI. But, you know, there's an example of Hunter Harvey. Again, the Nats' best reliever this season not doing so well uh, in a game. Uh, Nats relievers for this 2023 regular season, an ERA of 473 and have allowed 32 home runs. Uh, Those are not so good numbers. Uh, The Nats for this regular season are 27th out of 30 major league teams in relief pitching ERA and are tied for having given up the second most relief pitching home runs in the majors. Uh, The Nats starting pitching in this series against the Phillies was mixed. Uh, Trevor Williams was the Nats starter for the 11-3 loss on Sunday afternoon. Four runs in five and two-thirds innings. Uh, Williams in the top of the six was charged with two runs that scored uh, that three-run homer by Kyle Schwarber off Andres Machado. But still, Williams had some problems in this game. He gave up six hits, uh, two homers, and four singles. He issued four walks. Uh, He did record six strikeouts. Uh, He threw 101 pitches, 62 strikes versus 39 balls. Uh, Mackenzie Gore in the 4-2 loss on Saturday, three runs in six innings. He was decent. Uh, The biggest problem was that he gave up a lot of hits. He gave up nine hits, a homer, two doubles, and six singles. But he did have six strikeouts versus no walks. You love that. Uh, He threw 101 pitches, 63 strikes versus 38 balls. And Josiah Gray in the 8-7 win on Friday night, four runs in five and a third innings. The Nats in this game had that 6-0 fourth inning lead. You really would have liked for Gray to have lasted for more than five and a third innings. He gave up six hits, two home runs, a double, and three singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 94 pitches, 58 strikes 
versus 36 balls. I mentioned the two home runs. First time that Gray has allowed multiple homers in a game since allowing three homers in his first start of this regular season. It's interesting when you do the compare and contrast uh, of the two most important pitchers in the Nats rotation, Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray in this regular season. Each guy now has made 12 starts. Uh, Each guy has a pretty high whip, uh, 142. Uh, Gray has the lower ERA, 309 to Gore's 366. But Gore has the better strikeouts per nine innings, 11.25 to Gray's 7.39. There's also this, a big-time difference in each guy's BABIP allowed, uh, each guy's batting average on balls in play allowed. A league average tends to be around 300. Gore's BABIP allowed is at a very high 346. Gray's BABIP allowed is at 281. Gore has had some bad luck on balls in play, and an example of that would be something that happened in the Phillies' one-run third on Saturday, a one-out infield single by Nick Castellanos on a broken bad grounder on which the Nats' third baseman, Jamer Candelario, uh, double-clutched on his throw to first base. But overall, when it comes to Gore versus Gray, it's six and one, half dozen in the other in terms of which guy has been better. The key is that both guys this season have been far more good than bad, and we certainly should not lose sight of that. Uh, And then with the Nats hitting in this series, uh, well, lots of good stuff in the 8-7 win on Friday night. Not a lot of good stuff in the uh, 4-2 loss on Saturday and the 11-3 loss on Sunday afternoon. Take, for example, The aforementioned Jamer Candelario, he was an ad starting third baseman at all three games in this series. He was an ad's number three batter in games one and two. He was an ad's number four batter in game three. Uh, Candelario in the 8-7 win on Friday night, two for four with a two-run double and an RBI double. But Candelario over the final two games of the series, a combined 0 for 7 with a walk. Uh, I do want to salute Joey Manessis. Uh, he still is not hitting home runs, but he is producing hits. Uh, Manessis was an ad starting DH in all three games in the series. He was an ad's number four batter in games one and two. He was an ad's number three batter in game three. Manessis in the 8-7 went on Friday night, two for three with an RBI single, another single, and a walk. Manessis in the 4-2 loss on Saturday, one for three with a single and a walk. And Manessis in the 11-3 loss on Sunday afternoon, one for four with a triple. Uh, he and Nats, one run fourth, had a leadoff triple off the left center field wall as uh, the ball, rather comically, kept uh, rolling away from Philly's left fielder Kyle Schwarber toward the left field corner. Uh, but Joey Manessis now, in this 2023 regular season, has the following slash line. A batting average of 305, that's quite good. Uh, an on-base percentage of 347, that's quite good. But a slugging percentage of 399, <laughs> which is terrible. Uh, again, he's not hitting homers. Joey Manessis has just two home runs, that's it. But the guy is generating hits. He leads the Nats by far in hits 71 in this regular season. In fact, Joey Manessis is seventh in the majors in hits for this regular season. Uh, Also, the Nats in the 11-3 loss on Sunday afternoon got more production from two reserves who this season have not played much, but when they have played, have been good. Uh, Talking about Riley Adams and Ildemaro Vargas. Uh, Adams on Sunday afternoon as an Nats starting catcher and number eight batter, two for four with two singles. Uh, Adams in this regular season, just 44 plate appearances, but an OPS of 1,000. And Vargas on Sunday afternoon as an ad-starting shortstop and number seven batter, two for four with a two-run homer and a double. Uh, he did commit a fielding error, but Vargas in the bottom of the fourth had a two-out double off the left field wall. And Vargas in the Nats, two-run ninth, a one-out two-run homer to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 11-3. Uh, Vargas in this regular season, just 52 plate appearances, but an OPS of 873. Uh, All right, so let's get to this report on Steven Strasburg. Uh, Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post on Saturday morning came out with a report painting a very grim picture for Nats starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. Uh, The report stated that Strasburg, per three people familiar with the situation, has been completely shut down from physical activity again and is dealing with, quote, severe nerve damage, end quote, said the report of the surgery to address thoracic outlet syndrome that Strasburg underwent on July 28, 2021, quote, the surgery removed a rib and two muscles from his neck. Last summer, he couldn't stand for long before his right hand went numb. 
He often had to lie down and press his hand against his chest to be a warped version of comfortable. End quote. Uh, Jesse Doherty in the report also said that the Nats, according to four people within the organization, do not have any disability insurance on Strasburg's seven-year, $245 million contract. So two big items in this report. Uh, Let's deal with each of the major items in the report. So first, this reveal that Strasburg has been completely shut down from physical activity again and is dealing with, quote, severe nerve damage, end quote. Just awful. I hated reading that. You know, at this point, forget about Steven Strasburg's career. That, to me, has essentially been over for a while now. I mean, I said it when he got the surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome. TOS is a destroyer of pitchers' careers. And more likely than not, the Steven Strasburg who we had come to know was gone. And now it looks like his career is gone. Uh, At this point, the hot take isn't that Strasburg's career is over. At this point, the hot take is that Strasburg's career is not over, okay? He's done. He's never pitching again. But put that aside. At this point, the concern with Strasburg isn't his career. The concern is his quality of life. Uh, I mean, this guy can't get right. And that he's dealing with, quote, severe nerve damage, end quote, uh, very concerning. You know, Strasburg, as of last check, has two young daughters. The notion that he may have trouble, you know, picking them up and playing with them, etc., because of, quote, severe nerve damage, end quote, uh, just awful, man. Uh, I I hated reading this. Um, You know, we hear about former NFL players having major physical problems. We don't often hear about former Major League Baseball players having major physical problems, but it's sounding like Steven Strasburg moving forward could have significant health issues. So we certainly wish him the best. But as for the Nats not having any disability insurance on the Steven Strasburg seven-year, $245 million contract. So this is something that we've all wondered about. And boy, that the Nats do not have this insurance really is something. I mean, you think about this logically, okay? Given the enormous nature of the contract, again, seven years, $245 million. Given Strasburg's substantial injury history at the time of signing the contract, given Strasburg's age at the time of signing the contract, Strasburg signed this contract off having already entered his 30s. The Nats 2019 World Series championship season was Strasburg's age 30 season. He signed this contract in December 2019. Given all of these things, how in the world? Did the learners not take out any disability insurance on this contract? I mean, that to me is nuts. (laughs) That to me is classic penny wise and a pound foolish. Look, we know the deal with the learners as Nats owners. The learners as Nats owners have shown this propensity for not spending money until absolutely necessary. Now, the learners, to their credit, have spent quite a bit on player salaries. But on things other than player salaries, there has been this penchant for not spending until absolutely necessary. I wonder if this is why the learners did not take out any disability insurance on the Strasburg contract. In other words, well, the insurance is expensive. We may not even need it. So why spend the money on it? You know, that kind of a thing. But whatever the reason, okay, like, wow. Uh, I would think that the learners now very much regret not taking out any disability insurance on this contract. Uh, Wow. Um, Nothing has gone well for Steven Strasburg since he signed this contract. Uh, Seven years, $245 million. He signs the deal in December 2019 off having opted out of his previous contract and off, of course, having won 2019 World Series MVP. And ever since this contract was signed, it has been a nightmare for Steven Strasburg professionally. Uh, Strasburg in the 2020 regular season made just two starts. He on August 26, 2020, underwent surgery to alleviate carpal tunnel neuritis in his right hand. Strasburg in the 2021 regular season made just five starts. He on July 28, 2021, underwent that surgery to address 
thoracic outlet syndrome, and Strasburg in the 2022 regular season made just one major league start. He had a 7-4 loss at the Miami Marlins on June 9th, 2022, so almost a full year ago at this point, allowed seven runs in four and two-thirds innings, and then just five days later, June 14th, 2022, the Nats put Strasburg on the 15-day injured list retroactive to June 11th, 2022, with a stress reaction of the ribs, and the Nats on July 14th, 2022, transferred Strasburg to the 60-day injured list. And since that, we've had three major updates on Strasburg, each one seemingly more ominous than the previous one. Uh, September 16th, 2022, a piece by Jesse Doherty on Strasburg, who in the piece admitted that he was uncertain whether he would ever pitch in a game again. Uh, then Davey Martinez in a press conference this past February 15th, what was the day of the first workout for pitchers and catchers at 2023 National Spring Training in West Palm Beach, Florida, revealed that Strasburg had been shut down due to a recurrence of nerve pain, and the recurrence had happened off just two bullpen sessions. And now we have this report from Jesse Doherty on Saturday morning. Uh, look, you don't need to be shedding any tears for Steven Strasburg, okay? You certainly don't need to be setting up a GoFundMe for Steven Strasburg. But, you know, this isn't about the money. It is sad what has happened with him. So, again, all the best to him. Uh, I hope that there is a way. I so hope that there is a way in which Strasburg can get a proper goodbye at Nationals Park. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure when. But he deserves a proper goodbye. He is one of the best clutch performers in Washington, D.C. sports history. Never mind Nats history. Never mind D.C. baseball history. One of the best clutch performers in Washington, D.C. sports history, period. Steven Strasburg, in his postseason career, nine games, including eight starts, 55 and a third inning. So, you know, not some microscopic sample size. ERA of 146, whip of 0.94, a strikeouts to walks ratio of 71 to 8. 71 strikeouts versus 8 walks. Again, one of the best clutch performers in Washington, D.C. sports history. And that ultimately is his legacy more than anything else. Yes, you mentioned the injuries. Yes, you mentioned the contract. But the number one item in the Steven Strasburg legacy is that he is one of the best clutch performers in D.C. sports history. Uh, some happier news uh, from the last few days. The Nats on Friday morning promoted starting pitcher Jake Bennett from Low A Fredericksburg to High A Wilmington. Uh, Jake Bennett is not a top 100 prospect in baseball, but he is a rising prospect, certainly in the Nats farm system. Uh, this season is Bennett's age 22 season. The Nats took Bennett out of the University of Oklahoma in the second round of the 2022 MLB draft. And he, for the Fredericksburg Nationals this season, really impressive stats. Uh, nine starts, 42 innings, an ERA of 193, a whip of one, a strikeouts per nine innings of 11.6. Uh, no game for the Nats on Monday. Next up for them, a three-game series against the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park. The Diamondbacks are tied with the Los Angeles Dodgers for first in the National League West. Game one, Tuesday night at 7.05, Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday night at 7.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Thursday afternoon at 1.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, guess which team has the best road record in Major League Baseball's 2023 regular season? That team is the Orioles. Uh, they now are a Major League best 20 and 10 on the road and now have the third best overall record in the majors, 37 and 22. Uh, the O's over the weekend won two or three games at the San Francisco Giants. Late night on Friday night, a 3-2 win. Late night on Saturday night, a 4-0 loss. But then on Sunday, an 8-3 win. As the O's, Joe Angel, we're back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That's right, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's won two or three games at the Giants, despite the Orioles having a uh, rather hard time against the Giants starting pitchers in games 
one and two of this series. Uh, the O's in their 3-2 win on Friday night. Total just three runs, just four hits, and just one walk. Giants starting pitcher Logan Webb allowed three runs in seven innings. He's having a very good season. Uh, Webb threw games on Friday, had an ERA plus of 150 over 12 starts in this regular season. Uh, now, a bright spot on Friday night was Gunnar Henderson. Uh, he is the Orioles starting DH, and number five batter went one for four with a solo homer. Uh, he in the Orioles one run seventh. Hit a leadoff tie-breaking solo homer to right field for a 3-2 Orioles lead. The homer winner projected 410 feet per stat cast. And O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters called Henderson swing on the homer his best swing of the season. But Henderson left the next game, the 4-0 loss on Saturday night due to lower back discomfort and did not play in the 8-3 win on Sunday. Uh, the O's in that 4 nothing loss on Saturday night totaled no runs, just five hits, and no walks. Uh, the Giants' starting pitcher was former Oriole Alex Cobb. Uh, yes, do you recall Alex Cobb? If you're an Orioles fan, uh, Cobb on Saturday night, seven and two-thirds scoreless innings to lower his ERA for this regular season to 271. Where the heck was this when Cobb was with the O's? The O's in March 2018 signed Alex Cobb to a four-year, $57 million contract, richest free agent pitching contract in Orioles history, surpassing the four-year, $50 million deal for Ubaldo Jimenez in February 2014. But the Cobb contract, like the Ubaldo contract, uh, a disaster for the O's. A Cobb over three regular seasons with the O's 2018 through 2020 made just 41 starts, totaled just 217 innings, and registered an ERA of 510. Uh, the O's in February 2021 traded Cobb to the Los Angeles Angels. But then the O's in their 8-3 win on Sunday finally hit in this series. Eight runs, 10 hits, three walks. The O's went three for 10 with runners in scoring position. Josh Lester, uh, he in this game on Sunday made his Orioles Major League regular season debut, played in just his third career Major League regular season game. He was the Orioles starting third baseman and number seven batter, went one for three with a two RBI single. Uh, Lester in an Orioles six-run third, had a two-out full count, bases loaded, two RBI single to center field, and also on the play was a run scoring on an error giving the Orioles a 6-0 lead. So Josh Lester, the O's on Saturday selected his contract from AAA Norfolk, uh, off him for Norfolk this season, having an OPS of 888 over 231 plate appearances. He's not some hotshot prospect or anything like that. This season is his age 28 season, but uh, he came through on Sunday. Josh Lester was taken by the Detroit Tigers in the 13th round of the 2015 MLB draft. Here was Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday evening. What a cool moment for Josh Lester. You know, uh, got a lot of minor league time and gets an opportunity and just gets an enormous hit for us and a tough, you know, this is a tough place to win a road series and uh, for us to come out here and, you know, yesterday didn't go very well, but got off to a great start today and, and uh, really cool for Josh Lester to get his first hit in a huge spot for us. There's a lot of high level prospects in, in this clubhouse and, and you have a guy like Josh Lester is 13th round pick mm-hmm. just what is that you know kind of kind of like for him to, to be able to have a moment in the spot yeah I mean somebody that's never been on a top prospect list or somebody that's you know drafted in the 13th round and look around the big leagues there's a lot of guys like that and uh, you know his his story is a, is a great one and grew up in a baseball family and um, just grinded and was grinding in AAA and Gunner can't go today and he gets a start and and uh huge hit, you know, big hit for us. When we haven't been getting, honestly, a, a kind of a get, a get a big hit to kind of give us a little breathing room, and, and that did. Yes, it did. Uh, the O's in this series win at the Giants got good starting pitching in two of the three games. Uh, Tyler Wells in game three, good yet again. Uh, Wells in the 8-3 win on Sunday, two runs in five and a third innings with nine strikeouts. So yeah, you would have liked to have seen him last for longer than five and a third innings, but nine strikeouts in five and a third innings, terrific. Uh, he gave up just four hits, a homer and three singles. He issued two walks. He threw 102 pitches, 65 strikes versus 37 balls. Tyler Wells continues to lead all qualified pitchers in the majors in whip for this regular season. His uh, major league leading whip 
Now it's 0.85. Outstanding. Uh, the Orioles' other good start in this series came from Dean Kramer, who in Game 1 was at least solid for a sixth consecutive start. Kramer in the 3-2 win on Friday night. Two runs in six innings with six strikeouts. He gave up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. He issued two walks. He threw 100 pitches, 61 strikes versus 39 balls. Boy, has Dean Kramer turned his season around. Uh, Kramer, over his first six starts of this regular season, had an ERA of 667. Kramer, over his last six starts, has an ERA of 255. Uh, Kyle Bradish in game two of this series was not good. Uh, Bradish in the 4 nothing loss on Saturday night lasted for just four innings. He allowed three runs, all of which came in a bottom of the third in which he gave up two doubles and three singles. He, for the game, gave up seven hits, four doubles and three singles. He threw 79 pitches. Uh, he issued a wild pitch. He did have five strikeouts versus one walk. But overall, the Orioles pitching in this series was good as the bullpen had a good series. Uh, Orioles relievers over the three games in the series combined to allow just two runs in 10 and two-thirds innings. Some really good stuff in the 3-2 win on Friday night. Danny Coulomb, a perfect bottom of the seventh with three swinging strikeouts. And Felix Batista, a scoreless bottom of the ninth with three strikeouts despite giving up a two-out first pitch double by Casey Schmidt. Uh, Also, we over these last few days did have some bullpen maneuvering by the O's. Bruce Zimmerman, is back. Uh, Zimmerman in the 4-0 loss on Saturday night, two scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Uh, The O's on Friday put reliever Michael Givens back on the 15-day injured list, uh, retroactive to June 1st with right shoulder inflammation. Givens had been struggling of having been on the 15-day injured list from March 30th to May 21st due to left knee inflammation. And a corresponding roster move to Givens going back on the 15-day IL was the O's recalling Bruce Zimmerman from AAA Norfolk. So Bruce Zimmerman, the O's got him from the Atlanta Braves in the July 2018 trade that sent starting pitcher Kevin Gaussman and reliever Darren O'Day to the Braves. Zimmerman has had a hard time at the major league level. He has been good for stretches, but the overall numbers have not been good. Bruce Zimmerman at the major league level in the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons. 29 games, including 26 starts, 138 innings, an ERA of 554, a whip of 149. But he did pitch well in relief on Saturday night. And bottom line, good weekend for the O's, winning 2-3 at the Giants. Here was Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday evening on why the O's are a major league best 20-10 and 10 on the road. Uh, I don't know. I think that... I don't know if it's coincidence or not. I think that um, I don't know the answer. I think that we're I think we have a bunch of pros that are ready to play and and uh, come to park prepared. And uh, like I've said, I've been here a lot of times. This is not an easy place to play, and especially day games here with the sun, and the wind, and there's it's def- definitely different. Um, so to get two out of three here, it's uh, you know it's a good series for us. Yes, it is. Uh, No game for the O's on Monday. Next up for them, a three-game series at the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Game one, Tuesday night at 7.40. Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday night at 7.40. The O's had not yet announced a starting pitcher for that game. And game three, Thursday afternoon at 2.10. The O's had not yet announced a starting pitcher for that game. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 588. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders as Tuesday is day one of the team's three-day mandatory minicamp. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com